0: Hebrews chapter 5. Hopefully you're enjoying the book of Hebrews. It's a challenging book. Uh, We've learned a lot. Uh, So far in the book of Hebrews, we've received some valuable warnings. Uh, The author of the letter has warned us not to neglect our salvation, not to take it for granted. He's told us to be careful that we do not drift. Uh, We've talked about that in detail. He told us to beware of an evil heart of unbelief, which will cause us to depart from the living God. So beware of that heart of unbelief that can cause you to depart from God. He's also encouraged us to enter into the rest that had been provided for us by our Savior, Jesus Christ. But the author has not only warned us, he's taught us a great deal about who Jesus is. He's told us that he's greater than the angels, he's greater than the prophets, he's greater than Moses. And he's told us he's experienced temptation in every way that you have. The only difference between your temptation and his is he never gave in. He lived it out to the full. He never gave in to the temptation he experienced because he became that perfect sacrifice for us. And last week, we began to look at the qualifications for a Jewish earthly high priest. The author started to uh, sort of develop this, uh, this idea or this truth that Jesus Christ fulfilled the role of high priest. Uh, And he is our high priest as a Christian. He told us the high priest uh, is taken from among men and appointed by God. And we talked about how Jesus fits that role. He told us the high priest is able to have compassion on those who are ignorant, which means uninformed, and those who go astray because of the failures in his own life. So the the earthly high priest could... uh, relate to the failures of the people. And Christ is no different. He can relate to your failures because he was tempted also. And we also saw that the earthly high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices for the sins of the people. Well, Jesus Christ as our high priest offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. The earthly high priest came through the line of Aaron in the tribe of Levi, and Jesus fulfilled these requirements, but he didn't come from the line of Aaron. Instead, we're told that he came through the order of Melchizedek. He came through a different line. The earthly priest would come through Aaron's line. Christ came through the order of Melchizedek. We will develop that more as we get into chapter 7, but he's starting to set that up now. And uh, then it seems as we're told that Jesus, I think this is fascinating, and I love that if you missed last week's study, I think you go back and listen to it if you weren't here. He told us that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. You know, Lord, why do I have to suffer at all? I would prefer it if you didn't have any suffering, zero. That's what I want, Lord but yet there's still value in it, and we talked about that in great detail last week. Suffering and obedience seem to go hand in hand, and then he, after he suffered, he was perfected, and we're told that he became the author of eternal salvation, and that's the position that he holds in the life of a believer, and then in this sort of development as he's talking about it, it seems as though he, he abruptly stops there in verse 11, and he begins to turn his attention toward the uh, we'll say the heart or the mind, the attitude of the reader. He begins to look at the attitude of the reader when he began to criticize them, in a sense, for their lack of knowledge and their unwillingness to learn. So we're going to kind of pick up with that thought. I'll start in verse 9, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, we're, for context. We're going to make it through down to chapter 6, verse 8 this morning, but I'll begin reading here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Before I do, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless our time together. Father, We know that you've written your word not just to be a book on a shelf but a book, a word, a living word. We know that it's powerful and you want to use this word to transform my life. Lord, I don't believe it's just a series of stories and opinions and ideas. I believe it is truly the word of God and I just pray this morning as we've gathered here to learn your word. Would you minister to us? Would you speak to us? Lord, meet us right where we're at. Some of us know very little about your word. Others are very educated in your word. So wherever we're at, Lord, Would you give us the promise that we need? Give us the hope that we need. Perhaps it's conviction. Perhaps it's rebuke. Whatever we need this morning, may it come through the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 says this, And having been perfected, he, that's Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain why since you have become dull of hearing if you remember from last week the word dull means to be slow to understand but it's not just slow to understand it has the implication of laziness it means you're not trying to understand. You're not concerning yourself with those deeper truths, those things of God. You're just, I don't want to hear about that. I just, I'm lazy. I'm, it's kind of like I'm going rather to, than, rather than learn it, I'm just going to take that lazy, sit on the couch, do nothing approach. So it's not you can't understand it. It's that you are taking that lazy approach. They're not putting forth the effort or even trying to understand. This is the recipients of this letter. This letter is being written to Believers. These were Jewish believers who were considering giving up their faith in Christ or kind of going back to Judaism or finding some sort of middle common ground. And I think that even as ourselves as believers, those of us need to, that are believers need to ask ourselves, well, if they became dull of hearing, what does that look like? How do I know? Could I be dull of hearing? Could you be dull of hearing? How do you know? How, what, is, what does it look like for a believer, a belie- someone who believes on Christ to become dull in hearing or dull of hearing look at verse 12 as the writer elaborates on this point he says for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness underline that part it'll be important For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. If you or I have become dull of hearing, and it happens in our life from time to time, it means we are failing to mature in the word of God. You are, as the author said, unskilled (laughs) In the word of righteousness you're unskilled in it the author's saying hey you guys need to be you by, by this point you should be mature in your faith you should be teaching people you should be discipling people you should be growing you should know how to apply the Word of God in this situation the Word of God in that situation that this should be happening in your life but it, it's not it's not taking place instead you need someone to come back and teach you the basic principles of God's Word because you haven't grown you've become dull You need to go back and learn the basics. This is why you're considering or why they were considering leaving Christianity. This is why they were just kind of meshing the two together, blending them together, if you will. I am convinced that this is one of the main problems in the churches in America today. Many of our Christians, many of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ have become, and maybe some of us even here this morning, have become dull of hearing. To borrow a phrase from a friend of mine and family member, I will say this. I believe Christians are over-preached and undertaught. We hear message after message after message preached, but we're never taught God's word and what to do with it and how to apply it to our life. As a result, many Christians fail to mature. As a result, they have become dull of hearing. They're not growing in their faith. They're not maturing in the word of righteousness. They're simply learning and relearning the rudimentary principles. What does that look like? Well, in many cases, they have exchanged solid biblical Bible teaching for entertainment in the churches. It's not about the the word of God. It's about the entertainment. They've exchanged the Bible for discussion on politics. They've exchanged the Bible for discussion in current events and perhaps a a political party or whatever it might be. They've gotten away from God's word and gotten into everything else that seems to be so prevalent in the community. They've exchanged worship, the praise of the Lord for a concert they watch instead of an event they participate in. Worship is something that we participate in. It's something that we gather here to sing to the Lord. It's a way of worshiping him. It's not a, the the worship team wants you to sing with them. They don't want to be the only one singing. They want you to come alongside them. They might lead you in worship, but you are worshiping with them. If you're not worshiping with them, then they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. If it becomes so difficult, so complex that you can't sing along with them, they've, they've, they've overstepped. They've, 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 it's become, and you have to stop worshiping to watch and go, wow, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty neat, I like the lights. A oh, little smoky stuff makes it oh, look at the background up there that's pretty cool they've distracted you from your worship it's a distraction but yet people are exchanging that every day why because it's entertaining because it gets my mind in enter- it's oh I like that look at the different oh that's a really cool background it's swaying and look isn't that neat you ever been distracted in worship like that oftentimes I only worship with my eyes closed because if I look around I see things that distract me I look why why, why are they wearing that outfit wow, that shirt doesn't match that pants how come they how come they're dressed like that today you start looking around, your mind goes crazy. They've turned church into a social club instead of a place where they go to grow in the Word. This is a place where you should come with the expectation of hearing from God, hearing His Word taught, and I pray that you walk out of here and your life is changed. Not because of a message or a thing or a comment or, from me, that, that God's Word said something to you. It spoke to me. You spoke, it said, do not drift. I've been drifting. i got to get back. Whatever it is, it speaks to you. Let it be God's word that leads a change into your life. Many people have come to prefer a well-crafted, three-pointed message from a humorous and talented speaker with Bible verses simply sprinkled about, simply drizzled like, a, like salad dressing or something. It's not the main course. It's just we open the Bible, we read it, we close the Bible, we talk about something else. That's not what it's supposed to be. People say to me all the time, you know, I like the way that you teach. How come more people don't do that? I, I don't know. If I didn't teach to you God's word, I have nothing else to say to you. I wouldn't be here, I can assure you that. Because you don't want to hear my political opinions. You don't want to hear my, my philosophy on life. You don't want to hear that. Apart from God's word, that, that's just psychological nonsense in my life. You don't want to hear that from me. Or you shouldn't want to hear it from anybody else, even if they can dish it out with a little bit of humor, a little bit of entertainment. What you want to hear, what you need to hear, is what God's word says. Because this is the very book that will change your life. <laughs> how i became a pastor god's word changed my life and then i learned it and you know what i started doing i started teaching it first in a small group then a bigger group then a bigger group then god said one day go play in the church Uh uh-uh not me i don't know how to do that go i'll I'll show you well here we are this morning as a part as a product of that god's word i i continue to mature i continue to grow i get to teach it's the same thing for everyone out there you're not all going to be pastors but you can teach your family your friends your neighbors it's something that you should learn to do so how does it happen How does someone become dull of hearing? How does someone fail to mature in their faith? He told you right there in verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. They're unskilled. They don't know how to handle the word for he is a babe. We don't expect new Christians to be skilled in the word of righteousness. But for those who have been walking with the Lord for some time. You should be skilled in the word of righteousness. You shouldn't be afraid when someone comes up and says, let me tell you what happened in my life. And they start unloading you. You should know what Bible verses, what, what, what the word says about that. When someone says, you know, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? You should have an answer for that. You should be skilled with God's word enough to be able to answer questions that are posed to you if you've been walking with the Lord. To be skilled in something, it means to have the knowledge and capacity to use something. This should be a tool in your life, not only to minister to you, but others around you. A skilled musician, a skilled athlete. As Christians, were to be skilled with the word of righteousness. Think about that. We have God's word available to us. Everything you need in life is right here on the pages of Scripture. It's not relevant to the culture. It's not relevant to the society. It's not relevant to how you feel. It's right here. And we have the obligation to mature and to learn it. Now the beauty is, as I look out at you guys, I know many of you guys, and I I get the blessing of watching you grow. I am watching you mature in the Lord, in the word of God. It is such a blessing to see happen. But I've also come to learn that far too many Christians are unskilled in the word of righteousness. They don't know how to apply it to their life and in someone else's life. Now let me tell you, or let me illustrate for you why I think this is true think of the bible as a sword right we know that it's a sword hebrews a few chapters ago four twelve, told us for the word of god is a living it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword we know that think of it as a sword all right if this is a sword this is a tool in the life of all of our lives how's your swordsmanship how do you handle the sword how are you at handling the word of god how are you applying it to your own life? Do you know what it says? Does it have meaning to you? Is it where you, when you start to have a bad day, do you go to it to look for answers or for purpose or for what's going on? Do you, do you try to sort your own issues out through the word of God first? Or do you go to someone else? You see, many people want to come to church and they want to watch the pastor. They want to watch the pastor handle the sword. We're gonna watch you swing the sword. So you stand up there and you swing the sword and and hopefully you won't cut me today and I'll just get a a good promise or a blessing out of there. we'll, We'll watch you swing it around. They have your favorite pastor. You listen to his podcast or you catch his online stream. You enjoy listening and watching someone else handle the word of God. God's sword or God's word. But you're not developing your own skills. You're just impressed with the way someone else is teaching or handling God's word. Other people want to buy a book that some popular pastor wrote about the word of God. And you want to read his insight and his wisdom. But that's his. That's not yours. That can enhance you. But if you're looking to him only, then you're not getting what God has for you. I'm not saying don't buy books. Don't misunderstand. Don't read books. Don't read other people. But I'm asking you this question. Do you spend more time in God's word? Or do you spend more time reading a book that someone wrote about God's word? Because you think you already know this. I've already read through that a couple times. I'm going to read this pastor's book or that pastor's book. That might supplement you and might give you valuable insight. But where is the majority of your time spent? I've already read that story. Will you read it again and ask God to open your eyes to something new in your life? Because he will. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down to prepare a message to teach. I thought I knew the scripture. I don't even need to prepare. I got it down. I've taught it before. And all of a sudden the Lord shows me something completely different. He reveals something to me completely that I'd never seen before. And it's so fascinating. You see... The Bible really is a sword. It really is a tool that we have to handle. When my boys were little, I taught them all how to handle a knife. You know, you, you get them together and they're, as they're young, and you talk them about a knife, and you show them how it's sharp, and you do something impressive to show them how sharp it is. And then you hand it to them. And you turn it around, you hand it to the handle first. And the first time they grab on to that knife, you know what they're like? They're, they're nervous. They're afraid it's going to cut them by just being in their hands. They're just, they, they, you can just see that they're not comfortable with it. But the more they use it, the more they develop their skill with it, the more they cut with it, the more they test it out, the more they try it, the more it becomes in their pocket, it becomes something they're carrying around with them, the more comfortable they become with this tool. Too many Christians are still holding the word of God like, I don't know what to do with it. I can't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. You're not trying to understand it. You're not trying to apply it to your life. You're just, you're just like a child holding it going, I don't know. Here, you read it. You tell me what it says. I'll come listen to you. And that's good. We can grow there. But again, if you're only getting spiritually fed on Sundays and on Thursdays from me, you're, you're starving. You eat more meals than that every week. I can tell by looking at you guys. You eat good. So do I. <laughs> but we need to be fed spiritually as well. We need to make sure we're getting it our, ourselves. You see, a good pastor handles the word of God well. And he teaches his congregation as they come to watch him rightly divide the word. He teaches them the word and how to divide the word. He talks perhaps about different aspects of it. But it doesn't stop there. If, I, if all I did was want you to come see me teach the word of God, and I could build a big church and maybe have a few satellite campuses come watch me, then I have failed as a pastor. It's my job to teach you how to handle the sword. You see, you might enjoy watching me handle the sword, but you need to know how to handle the sword. Because I'm not going to be with you tomorrow morning when temptation comes your way. I'm not going to be with you when the bad thing happens or the phone call, the phone rings and you get the bad news. I'm not going to be standing next to you, all right, here, here, remember this promise. You're going to have to come up with that on your own. But if you're you're holding that sword like it's unfamiliar, like it's on shaky ground, I don't know, here, I don't want it. And you're not going to be able to rely on it. But if it's become a well-worn tool. A carpenter's hammer that's hammered thousands and thousands of nails. He knows right where it goes. He knows right where it stays in the pouch. He's got it down. He knows right where to find it when he needs it. That's the way the word of God should be. You should know right where to find it. You should go there. See, a good pastor teaches the people how to handle the word. He develops and trains their skills so they can handle their own Bible, their own word. An insecure pastor doesn't want anybody else to handle the word. Oh, you're not qualified. you you, you can't handle that you you can't understand that no you're going to mix things up you're going to confuse things let the Holy Spirit work things out when someone comes to the word of God looking for truth they're going to get the truth they're looking for I believe God will meet them right there as you learn to handle the word you naturally become a teacher of the word it just happens I love it when I find something in the word that I didn't know and I usually tell my wife hey honey guess what I found in the word you know what she says I already knew that no she doesn't say that (laughs) <laughs> she, even if she did already know that she wouldn't say that because she, does, she wouldn't say that but it's just like when I, when I find something that jumps out look you're not going to believe I got this thing I'm thinking about in my mind I wonder what you think I can go to her oh yeah that's really cool I go to some other guys that's really cool and, and, and we share that common. we're sharing about the word for the men, we do that in men's discipleship. We meet on the first Thursday of every month. We spend a whole month reading over a section of Scripture. We talk about the Word. We struggle over the difficult things of the Word. We talk about it. The ladies, they had ladies' Bible study yesterday. Tuesday nights, they have a ladies' Bible study. It's, it's getting together and, and grappling, talking about some of these. It's growing in the Word of God, learning how to handle it and how to use it. You know, we all don't, you don't have to go to seminary or have a theological degree to understand what God's word says. You have to be able to read, which most of us can do. And you just read what it says and the Lord will give you understanding. And I'm not diminishing those studies in the higher education because those are very valuable. You need to learn to go deeper in in Greek words and Hebrew words. I think those are important too. But what I'm saying is we need to take it the way it's given to us. Sometimes the most simple, it's simply written. We just need to accept it that way. It's, so, it's, it's not that complicated. If you don't do that, you become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. Lazy of hearing. And the author says you're like a child drinking from a sippy cup. You're drinking milk from a sippy cup, when by now you should be having your own Bible study in your house with your neighbors and your friends. But you're just drinking milk out of a sippy cup. Listen to this whole section, verse 12 there, as I just read it to you with that context that you have. For, both, for, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, those who are maturing. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Many, well, let me say it this way. Mature Christians have the ability to discern, and that means to judge or decide the difference between good and evil. It's important. An immature Christian will watch something evil, or contrary to the word of righteousness, go on inside of a church and not even realize that it's wrong they won't even know they won't it won't where, where a mature christian will go wait a minute that is that is direct conflict with god i'm out of here i'm leaving i'm not going to sit and watch this happen any longer i will not do that i am i am out of here and they will get up and walk out they'll get up and walk out of a movie or leave a group of people whoever it is they'll, they'll take the situation go, this is evil i am out there's a sensitivity to evil that is developed there they can do this because they use their senses They use the senses they have. They've exercised them. You know what exercise is? Every day, every so often, working periodically, stronger, stronger, stronger. When you take God's word, you're exercising it. You're learning it more and more. It always builds upon itself. If you work out once a year, it's not going to help you. If you work out every day a little bit, just a few minutes, it'll make a big difference in your life. God's word is no different. They exercise it. Remember the group of people who would receive this letter, were considering giving up their Christianity, thinking of going back to Judaism, going back. Many of them were accepting a form, a a mixture, if you will, of both Judaism and Christianity. They were mixing them together. And As we come to chapter 6, the author wants to move on from the basic principles of Christianity to mature in our faith. Look there at chapter 6, verse 1. He says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us, that's us by the way, let us go on to perfection. That means maturity. That's what the word perfection means. To go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits now it's not that these foundations are unimportant it's not the case at all but as Christians he's saying we need to move on we need to grow up you know baby milk solid food young adult adult mature we need to grow up in our faith in Christ grow deeper increase our understanding continue that growth don't let laziness keep you from seeking out the deep things of God's word It should be important to you. Here's another interesting thought, and consider this, because I think this is the way it fits in context. These elementary principles that he mentioned there, the the ones of Christ, the the ones he talked about, uh, dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, these these sort of elementary principles, they are elementary principles of most religions. And, And what I mean by that is Most religions have faith in God. Most religions have a repentance. Most religions have some idea of, of an afterlife, of what happens. Judaism has all of these things. Well, Judaism, you say, well, they don't have baptism. Yes, they do, because the word baptism there, it means ceremonial washings. And Judaism does have ceremonial washings, as do many other religions. So, what I suspect is going on here is the believers, the Christians in that day, they're taking the roots of Christianity and they're blending them with Judaism and they're saying, well, we're just going to dwell in this common ground here. We're, not, we're just going to focus on what we all agree upon and we're not going to focus on what we disagree upon. You have repentance, so do we. You have faith, so do we. You have baptism, so do we. You believe in resurrection, so do we. You believe in eternal judgment, well, we do too. Well, couldn't the Muslims say the exact same thing to all those things? Sure they could. Now, they don't believe in Jesus Christ. They don't believe in the same thing we do. But in those general, generic, basic words, same principles. So let me illustrate it to you this way. Do you remember in school where you would have two circles? Like you'd have a big circle over here and a big circle over here. And as you moved them together, they would intersect. And the point where they intersected, that's where they shared things in common. That's that. so, so, you have, you know, there's like an inter- there's two circles up here. There's an intersecting point, And inside that intersection, you might have repentance, you might have faith, you might have baptism, you might have resurrection, you might have eternal judgment. Okay, so that's what they're saying is in these elementary principles, they're the common ground. The author is saying, you guys got to move on from this common ground intersection thing. You've got to grow deeper into the things of God. This is not making you Christian because you're dwelling on these things. You can't just focus on you what you agree upon. Do you know why? Because in that intersection, in these common principles, there is no mention of the cross. There is no mention of Jesus Christ. There is no mention of a surrendered life. One commentator wrote it this way. He said... These Jewish Christians did not want to abandon religion, but they did want to make it less distinctively Christian. Well, just make it less Christian. Therefore, they went back to this common ground to avoid persecution. Living in this comfortable common ground once did not stick out so much one did not stick out so so in other words if I just stay in the common ground we're the kind of we can live next door to each other and I don't I don't talk about my part of this circle you don't talk about your part of this circle we're just going to live right here in this common ground a Jew and a Christian together could say let's repent let's have faith let's perform ceremonial washings and so forth but do you know that is a subtle denial of Jesus Christ You're denying Christ, you're denying the cross, you're denying the things that maybe you don't have in common. Let's be religious, but maybe we don't need to be fanatical about Jesus. That's what their argument would be. I don't think I need to tell you that this is going on today in Christianity. There's an overlap, there's ecumenicism that's going on where it's like, we're all just worshiping the same God. No, we're not. There's an overlapping of our circles sometimes, but it is not the same thing. It's not the same, you know, it's It's different. Even in Cumberland, we have a, a, church, a movement along the, of, among Christian churches called Unite. The Pope recently signed a covenant with the Muslim imam. You know, we have these common ground. We're going to focus on the common ground. But you can't focus on the common ground and reject this, the very foundation of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. It's different. I don't care if the title is God. It's different. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ is what the Bible said. As Christians, we are on the same side. Don't forget that. But at the same time, don't forget there's doctrinal differences between Christian churches. If there wasn't, we'd be better off just joining and making one big strong church if that were the case. We can't spend all of our time in the common area. In doing so, you sacrifice your very core belief on what's on the outside. Here at Calvary Chapel, we do things a certain way. We don't hold, and I'm not even saying it's the right way, I'm just saying it's our way. I'm not saying it's the only way. I'm just saying it's the way we do things. We don't hold the same doctrine as the Baptist Church does. If we did, we might as well just join the Baptist Church. We don't hold the same doctrine as the Assemblies of God Church does. If we did, we might as well just join the Assemblies of God. You see, we fit somewhere in the middle there, you know, because, because of who we are, we're different. I'm not saying we're the right way or the only way. Those are, those are okay, but understand there's a difference there. And while we can understand and go, yeah, there's a lot we agree on, there's a lot we disagree on, too. Now, when it comes to the big things, we can overlook the small things, but when it comes to when you have Christianity, when you have the Muslim relation, uh, religion or you have other different religions coming in, you go, no, we're just going to focus on faith and God, no. We as Christians focus on Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. He is our savior. It is not the same thing, and we cannot overlook that just so that we can get along in life a little easier because that's what they were doing in that day. So how do we mature? How do we grow up? He tells you right there in verse 3. And this we will do if God permits. As God permits, as we press on to maturity, we realize it only happens at God's pleasure. He's the one that matures us. We put forth the effort. We, set a, we carve out the time to study God's word. But the Holy Spirit is who gives us understanding. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it without him. But you have to be willing to do it. And now as we come to verses 4 through 6. We find some of the most controversial verses in the entire New Testament. Follow along as I pick up in verse 4. 4. 4. For those who believe that you can, quote-unquote, lose your salvation, here it is, here's my proof text, you can lose your salvation, he says it right there, it says it right there, it is impossible, it's impossible if they fall away to to repent, there it is, right there. The other side of that argument says, for those who believe that you cannot lose your salvation, for those that believe in eternal security for the believer, they say, well, I know it says impossible, but it doesn't mean impossible, it just means improbable. It means it's difficult. I know, but, and it also says if, and so although it says if, it's not saying if, he's saying if it was possible, but it really can't happen, so it's if the if fills in, if it were possible, but it's really not possible, so you don't have to worry about that. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all to this text. So we're faced here this morning with what exactly do these verses mean? What exactly is it? What is the author trying to say? And I think it's pretty simple to be honest with you but let me just put forth this warning you should never bend flex redefine or especially disregard the words of scripture simply because it doesn't fit your belief or your idea or the truth that you so desperately want to hold on to you do not change the text you change the belief You do not conform you do not try to fit the text into what you believe, you try to fit what you believe into the text. That's the way that we have to do it. Otherwise, we're going to be faced with reinterpreting the entire Bible based on what we think is right. Let me begin to help us read and understand this passage just simply as it's written. Just like we do every other passage, it begins with the word, words, for it is impossible. Now, there are some people who would say, well, it doesn't really mean impossible, it means improbable. It means it, it It most likely won't happen. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that for a moment. It's just difficult. But here's my challenge to that argument. Let's look. Was this word used anywhere else in the book of Hebrews by the author? And let's see what it means there. Because if it means difficult there, or it means not likely... Then, then, then maybe we'll go with that argument. So let's do that. So in Hebrew, if you were to do that, you'd find that this word impossible is used three other places in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says this, it is impossible for God to lie. Okay, I get that. That's a pretty clear definition of impossible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 says, it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. Impossible. Impossible. Well, you say, wait a minute, they they made sacrifices, but their sacrifices in the Old Testament covered. They atoned for the sin. They covered the sin is what it means. It doesn't mean they removed the sin. It covered the sin. All right. Third time, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It is impossible to please God without faith. So there we have the word impossible used four times. In light of these areas, I think that we're on pretty solid ground saying the word impossible means impossible. Impossible. You you just went through all that to prove it impossible means impossible? Well, that's how sometimes people want to take a word and they want to shift the meaning of it. But you go through it and you go, it's impossible, it's impossible, it's impossible, it's impossible. So whatever he's telling us here is impossible is what he's about to tell us. We know that for sure. So the next thing we have to ask is who's he talking about? Is he talking about a believer? He's talking about an unbeliever. Now we have to ask that question. He tells you right there who he's talking about. He says, to those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift... And have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now, before me telling you what all those words mean, you can form your own opinion in your mind. Who's he talking about there? Okay. Now, let me, go, let me just kind of walk you through it. All right. To those who were once enlightened, All right. it's pretty clear that these people have had a spiritual experience. And not just an ordinary, it's a pretty extraordinary spiritual experience. This is where the big debate lies in Christianity. Is he talking about the experience of salvation here? And you, you, you talk about it, you figure it out. Is the, the out. They were enlightened, they've tasted the heavenly gift, they've become partakers of the Holy Spirit, they've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now you, you decide right now if that's salvation in your mind or not. And then we'll kind of go through those words. That's, some people think it is, some people think it isn't. And I'll give you my opinion as we move along. But let's keep digging into what these words mean. What's the word enlightened mean? It says they've become enlightened. The word enlightened means this. The experience of light shining on someone. Of a new light shining on the mind and the spirit. They've been enlightened. They've got a different perspective. Their mind is open. Their spirit has changed. It says they've tasted something. Well, what does it mean to taste something? It means to test it. It says they've tasted the word of God. You say, wait, 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 taste, is, is that just a nibble, or is that like truly tasting something? Listen, when you taste something, you get a part of it. You, you were, you, it is, when my mom used to make me eat stuff I didn't like, she goes, here, taste this. And you stick out your tongue, you take the little tiny piece, I don't like it. She goes, you didn't even taste it. That's not tasting it. Tasting it means you get a spoonful of it. Besides, it tells us that Jesus tasted death, and I don't think he nibbled at it. I think he got the full experience of it. So tasting it, they've tasted the word of God. So what was this heavenly gift that it says they also tasted? They've tasted this heavenly gift. Well, other places in scripture, the scripture refers to salvation as a gift of God. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That's salvation, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I think it's likely to say that what this author is writing here is he's talking about people who have experienced salvation. They, they, they've, they've had an experience with the Holy Spirit, they've tasted the Word of God, they've seen the Lord's power, they've become enlightened. They have uh, the powers of the age to come. In other words, they've experienced God's supernatural power. They've experienced a lot here. There's many of us in this room (coughs) that go, I haven't experienced that much. But it seems to me they've experienced quite a bit. I think it's safe to say that he's writing about someone who's a Christian, someone who's a believer on Jesus Christ, who's experienced the things that God has to offer. Now, we are told here, and this is where it gets complicated, it's impossible. What's impossible? Verse 6 if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. It's impossible for this person that is described here, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Why? Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now, let me say this. I believe there is a distinct difference between falling and falling away. Okay, and let me make that clear. A Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, you will fall in sin. Okay, that doesn't mean falling away. All right, as Christians, we're not perfect. We will make mistakes. You will have times where you fall in sin, sometimes more often than others. That will happen. Falling away is something completely different. Here's what the word falling away means. It means to, ab- to abandon a former relationship or association to disassociate. Okay? Falling means I'm walking with the Lord. You know, I I gave it a temptation. I blew it. Okay? I repent. I get back up. I'm still walking with the Lord. Falling away means I have disassociated with myself. I have no longer associating with Jesus Christ. Okay? You guys with me on that so far? So there's this falling away. The message to those Christians who felt like giving up okay, they felt like going back or who were dwelling in the common and comfortable ground of Christianity is clear. If you don't continue on with Jesus, if you give up this part of the circle, this part of Jesus Christ, you are falling away. There is no other way to get saved. You might be comfortable in the religion, but you're giving up the Savior for that comfort. That's, that's the point that he's making there. If you aren't saved in Jesus, you aren't saved at all that's 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 clearly what he's saying there is no salvation in safe common ground that is distinctively christian it's it's it fits many different religions if someone falls away and you go wait a minute i'm still caught on this if they fall away how come they can't repent it says it's impossible for them to repent here's my thought on it here's my take on it if someone falls away they can't repent it's not that god doesn't want them to repent or won't allow them the bible's filled with god calling people to repentance it's when they've tasted what God has and they've disassociated themselves with him, they don't want to repent. They don't want to. They've already had it. They don't want it. I, I've tried that. I don't want to go there. And I understand this is a delicate subject. There's scriptures that say, no one will pluck you out of my hand. You know, we can be confident in our salvation. I believe those, those scriptures as well, and I'll teach them the exact same way I'm teaching this when I get there. But it, these are people who go, you know what, I've done this. I've, I, I, I've seen what God has but now I am completely disassociated. I'm going from being a follower of Christ to an enemy of Christ. Sadly, I know people, individuals, men, who at one point in their life were pastors, who I saw tremendous fruit in their life, leading people to Christ, churches that are, that are growing. Some of them even taught me much of what I know. Yet I look, and today, they're not following the Lord. They've disassociated themselves with the Lord. Now, some would say, well, were they ever really saved? I I don't know that. I can't answer that question. But what I can answer is the fruit of the Holy Spirit was evident in their life. And I saw it over and over and over and over and over again. God used them in a mighty way. Were they ever really saved? I I I don't know. It looked like they were saved to me. I can never be the judge of anyone's salvation. But here, what the author's saying, and I believe it's the Apostle Paul that's writing this because this, is, this mimics a lot of what he says in Galatians. But I believe he's writing this. He's saying if someone falls away, they've disassociated with themselves with Christ. They can't find their way back because they don't want it. One commentator wrote this. said the idea is not that if you fall away, you can't ever come back to Jesus. Instead, the idea is if you turn your back on Jesus, don't expect to find salvation anywhere else especially in the practice of religion apart from the fullness of Jesus. And Charles Spurgeon made a quote, I forget exactly how it went, it was beautiful. He goes, I don't want to be Calvinist, I don't want to be Arminist. I want to be close to the Lord. I want to be in the word of God. That's where I want to be. It's not about picking a side or picking a choice. I want to be right up next to God's word is where I need to dwell. In verses 7 and 8, the author illustrates the serious consequences of falling away. Verse 7 says this, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. In other words, when the earth receives rain and it bears useful plants, it bears herbs, it grows fruit, it fulfills the purpose, and it justifies the blessing of rain that was sent upon it. it. It did what it was supposed to do. The writer to the Hebrews applies this point to them. You've been blessed, but where is your fruit? You've been blessed, you have it. God looks for what grows in us after he blesses us. After he pours out the blessing, what grows? What grows? Is, is there fruit of the Lord that's growing in you? Is he pouring into you? Is, are you growing? Are you maturing in the Lord? That's what he's looking for. Well, what happens if I'm not? Look at verse 8. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. If the ground is blessed by rain but refuses to bear fruit, No one blames the farmer for burning it up. We're going to burn it up and start over. If your life is being blessed with things of God, and there's no fruit being bore out of your life. What are you doing? It's time to to start following Jesus Christ, getting to learn the word of God, growing and maturing. The idea shows that growth and fruit are important aspects of the believer's life. It keeps them from falling away. We're growing, we're bearing fruit together. We all grow at a different rate. Do you know that? You ever watch some plants grow like weeds? Other plants grow real slow. In Christianity, we're the same way. Some of us grow and mature very quickly. Others, man, it takes forever, but but you know, we're growing just a just an inch a year. But you know what happens by the end of your life? You've grown tremendously. You've become a tree bearing fruit which started out as a little sprout. We all grow at different paces. So let me close with just a couple more thoughts, a couple more ideas on this idea of losing your salvation versus eternal security because I want you to know where I stand and I want to be perfectly clear about it. I don't like the term or the phrase losing your salvation. Okay, I don't like it. I don't think it's not in the scripture. It doesn't fit anywhere. You cannot lose your salvation. You lose your car keys. Man, where did I put my keys? Have you seen my keys, honey? I, can't, I don't know where I put my keys. Can you help me find my keys? Okay, that, that's lo- I don't know what I did with it. Okay? As a Christian, we don't sin and all of a sudden lose our salvation. I don't believe that for one moment. You don't lose your salvation simply because you fall into sin. However, it seems by this passage that there is a potential to fall away. It seems rather clear to me that if, if you disassociate yourself from the Savior, if you choose the things of the world and you become an enemy of God... I'm not saying you're, not, you're someone who's struggling. I know I'm trying to get here. I know this is wrong. I'm in a battle. That's not who I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the one who says, I don't want that. I've been there, done that, tried Jesus. He didn't work for me. I am done. I, and I'm going I'm to become atheist. I'm going to start speaking against God. Man, either you were never saved, which, okay, I'll buy that argument, or you walked away, or you disassociated yourself from the things of the Lord. If you disassociate yourself from the Savior, you haven't lost your salvation. You've given it up. You've walked away from it. You've you've experienced it, but you gave it up. You've tasted the things of the Lord, and you've exchanged it for something else. On the other hand, the phrase eternally secure, I don't like that one either. Because that implies that I can do whatever I want, and I'm eternally secure. Doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter how I live, I am good to go. I can do it, whatever. I don't have to, no, no, I can I can live however I want. I'm secure. Nothing I, can, nothing I can ever do would change that. I don't like that. Because that gives off the wrong message, too. Now here's where I stand. As Christians, we don't need to worry about losing our salvation. We don't need to get resaved every time we blow it, every time we mess up. But if we come to the place where we are no longer claiming Christ as our Savior, if we are dwelling only in what's comfortable. If we've given up trying to find that common ground of religion, if we've disregarded the word of God and the God of the word, man, that's not a place I would wanna be. You say, well, am I still saved if that's me? Not according to this scripture, you're not. Makes it pretty clear. And I certainly wouldn't wanna test that theory if I were you. I would abide in Christ because that's where he says he'll abide in us. If we've disregarded God's word and the word and the God of the word, How can we be saved through a savior that we've rejected? You can't. It doesn't work that way. The only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. And I realize that there's many other churches teaching many other ways, but I'm here to tell you that the Bible doesn't do that. And I will just challenge you with this thought. If there is another way to be saved, why did Jesus go to the cross? Why would he have to endure the pain and the suffering if we could just believe something different? You see, he had to become like us. He had to become our high priest. He had to endure temptation. He had to overcome temptation. He had to endure suffering to learn obedience. He had to faithfully fulfill God's will so that we could be reconciled to God. There is no other way, I hate to be the one to tell you. And you might say, well, no, you're being closed-minded. No, I'm not. These are Jesus' words. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now, on the other side, Rob, are you saying I have to walk around wondering if I'm saved? No, you don't. You can be completely confident in your salvation. When I look at the scriptures, the apostle Paul was very confident in his salvation. He knew where he was going the moment he died. Well, how, 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 how can I be confident? I think John 15 lays it out beautifully. Let me just read it to you. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides, this is Jesus' words, by the way. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. It shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. You see, it's a real simple... It's it's not, it's not losing my salvation. It's not eternal security. If I abide in Christ... I don't have to worry about it. I'm saved. That's all I need to be concerned with. If I, are you abide, the question is, are you abiding in Christ this morning? You go, well, I, I had a bad week. I don't care what kind of week you had. If you're abiding in Christ, you're saved. Don't, don't let the enemy creep in and tell you you're not. But if you're there going, well, I don't, I'm not, I, I, I once, I, I used to go to church. I used to follow God. I used to believe, now I don't believe those things anymore. And I would say, be very, very careful because according to this scripture, you might be in danger of not being able to come back. I would say repent immediately before you get too far, before you become a complete enemy of God. See, it's a real simple choice there for us. We don't have to complicate this and go, it's one or the other. I can be. I, can, I, don't, I don't have to worry about losing my salvation, and I can be confident in my salvation. But I also realize that I have the obligation to abide in him. I have to stay close to him. If I don't, I'm going to drift. I'm going to become dull of hearing if I'm not in the if I don't know how to handle God's word I'm going to become dull of hearing if I become dull of hearing I might be religious but I'm drifting I'm floating away I'm getting farther and farther from God and pretty soon I stop attending church and pretty soon I'm out here and then I'm back in the world and these things and that things and before you know it I've disassociated completely see a disassociation doesn't happen like that doesn't happen overnight it's a process that happens if you are drifting if you are in the process of if you if you're not sure how to handle God's word it's time to make those changes and become confident to pick up God's word like and have it become a well-worn tool in your hand that can minister to you and everybody around you and then you will mature and grow in the things of Jesus Christ Let's pray Father Lord Jesus We thank you for going to the cross. We thank you that there you accomplished the forgiveness of sins. It's there that we're set free. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to wonder about our salvation, that we can be secure in it because you are the foundation. But Lord, may we be associated with you. May salvation not be a train ticket that we purchase one time and then just want to cash it in upon our death. Lord, may it be a decision we make, and something we pursue for the rest of our life. Lord, I know that salvation comes by faith alone. But I also know that fruit follows that faith. May this be a group of people who bear fruit. May they grow in you. May they mature. Lord, if there's anyone here that's dull of hearing, would you wake them up this morning? May you convict them. May they realize they're Inability to handle your word, the sword in their life, and may they practice and practice and practice, even when they don't feel like practicing. May their skills, their reliance on you, be developed. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you this morning, if anyone's at that point they've almost fallen away, maybe they're considering it. They turn their hearts toward you, ask you for forgiveness, and repent. Lord, the Bible's filled with you calling people to repentance, and it's only their hard heart that will keep them away. So I pray that this morning you would work in that heart to soften it. Lord, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.